Father in heaven, we thank you so much because you have called us for such a time as this, as it says in Esther 4, verse 14. And Lord, thank you so much that a man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. And God, you have directed us here because we know you have things you want to communicate to us. We just pray and ask, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak. And God, we claim that promise in John chapter 16. When he, the Spirit of truth, shall come, he will guide you to all truth. And Lord, we know that you're able to do this. Bless us now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. After these meetings, you're going to find out that after each night, you're going to receive a study guide over the topic that we covered. So if, if I'm speaking just a little too fast for you, I'm going to do my best to slow down. Right after the meetings, you'll see there's going to be somebody passing out a study guide. And if you don't get one, just come see me or go see Lily right there. Lily, do you mind raising your hand? There's Lily, everybody. Everyone say hi, Lily. Okay, great. You know who Lily is now. So if you need anything, you just go talk to her, right? Okay, very, very good. By the way, are you excited about tomorrow night's message? That's right. Amen. There is not a message tomorrow night. We have Mondays off, right? But when does the next meeting start? Tuesday, right? And then Tuesday and Wednesday. And then when's the next night off? Thursday. I heard somebody say Friday. Thursday. Thursday. You don't want to miss Friday night. It's going to be really exciting. Well, folks, I know that we're on a journey, and tonight's message is going to be another step in that journey. The name of tonight's message is called War of the Stars. I promise you this, that you're going to be extremely blessed and enlightened by the Word of God. We're going to continue going future topics as well. We're going to cover the Antichrist. We're going to cover the mark of the beast. You're going to walk away knowing what the, who the Antichrist is and what the mark of the beast is as well. Man, by the way, in order to identify the mark of the beast, you have to first identify the beast. Does that make sense? A lot of people attempt to identify the mark of the beast without first identifying the beast power. But you're going to understand this as we continue and progress. You're going to walk away from this revelation series with your mind blown away with Bible prophecy. Can you say amen so far? Amen. We're also going to cover the topic about the millennium, and you're going to see it straight from Scripture, what the Bible teaches about the thousand years. You know, I've heard a lot of presentations about the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, and many times those presentations can be extremely confusing. They'll take you off to some text over here and some text over there. But folks, we're all about context here. Can you say amen to that? You're going to see what God is teaching straight from the Word of God. From the Word of God. And we'll also get into the exciting message called Prophecy's Health Plan. And that is a message you do not want to miss, especially in this day and age. We'll also discover as we continue in this that you will gain greater confidence in the scriptures. The Bible will become more clear to you, become more accurate, more relevant, and more sufficient. By the way, has anybody ever read a book written by an Eskimo? Raise your hand if you've actually read a book written by an Eskimo. Okay, one person. Wow, that's amazing. Has anybody ever read a book written by an Indian man? An Eastern Indian. Okay, about three or four people. Excellent, maybe five people. Okay, good. Has anybody ever read a book written by somebody from China? I want you to raise your hand. Okay, very good, a few people. Here's my point. The majority of people have not written a book written by an Eskimo, written by somebody from India, and written from some, by somebody in China. But guess what? There is somebody right now, somebody right now in Alaska, who's coming out of the igloo, and they're opening up a Bible. There's somebody right now in China who's opening up their Bible right now and reading it. There's somebody in India who's opening up their Bible right now and reading it. My point is this. The Bible is a book that transcends culture. Can you say amen to that? Made for all people of all generations. And that's why this book is ex extremely exciting. God has made it for the simple seeker all the way to the studious scholar. God wants you to understand his word. Amen? Tonight's message is entitled, The War of the Stars. Has anybody ever heard of this man, Eli Weasley? He's a very interesting individual. 
he was actually somebody who was part of the German concentration camps. He's an individual that appears on TV. He has sat down with various leaders, political leaders, throughout the world. He's a, a well-educated man. He's a speaker. He speaks before colleges and universities, and he shares his testimony about his life. As a young man, he grew up in Eastern Europe, and there he experienced a lot of prejudice against the Jews. And as a young man, he was placed in a concentration camp. His mother and his sister actually died during that period. His father and him made it out shortly after. There's actually a picture of him right there. If you see this individual right there, that's him right there. When he was a young man, he's grown some facial hair. There was a picture of him while he was there. But uh, he was able to leave the concentration camp with all these memories. You know what's interesting? I actually met an, an individual, an older gentleman, who was actually part of Hitler's youth. You ever heard of Hitler's youth? And people who have gone through that time and through that experience have experienced hardship and pain and experiences that continue to rock their, day, their lives today. Well, this individual, he has never forgot about it. And to this day, he has written several books. He wrote this book called The Trial of God. It's called The Trial of what? God. The Trial of God. And it was based upon a very unusual experience that he had while he was in the concentration camp. One day as he was sitting in the bed, he looked out and he saw three rabbis, three Jewish rabbis who were also in this camp. And what these three Jewish rabbis did was very interesting. Your mind is going to be blown away by what I'm about to share with you. What they actually did was this. He was sitting, laying down on his bed, and he was watching these three rabbis who had lost all the prestige, who had lost wives, who had lost family members, who had lost children. He was watching these three bitter rabbis who weren't allowed to preach in synagogues, who were just there wearing clothing like everybody else. He was watching them, and he observed the most unusual thing. He watched as these three rabbis had a mock trial. And he was watching and paying attention. And in the book, he elaborates more on this trial, and he describes that these rabbis had this unusual court case. And as he was watching them, all of a sudden, one of the rabbis says, all right, we are going to proceed with this court case. The individual who is going to be tried is God Almighty. He is accused of murdering his children. He is accused of allowing suffering to take place in this world. He is an individual who must be brought to trial for his crimes against humanity. And at the end of the court case, they pronounce God Almighty guilty. Guilty. The Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, was found guilty of crimes against creation and humankind. Now this is very interesting. When you read this book, you discover about a man who had seen so much suffering in this world. And you discover other individuals just like him. And each one of us have been through our share of trials and tribulations. And the questions that come out after that or while you're going through those times is the question, why? Oftentimes people ask the question, why God are you allowing this? Don't I serve you? Why, God, are you allowing this to take place? Don't I follow you? And the question that skeptics ask over and over again is, is this. God, if you are so good, why is the world so bad? And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that Bible prophecy has the answer to that question. Can you say amen to that? Unfortunately, if you were to ask your average Christian, your average Bible-believing Christian, if, the world, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? They'll just look at you with a blank stare. But folks, we need to understand what the scriptures teach about this subject. God has an answer for it in his word. Amen? Amen? Well, everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start off with a very interesting parable. We're going to discover in this parable that God actually created a world that was originally good. In fact, when you read the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, you discover that after anything that God creates, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. At the very end of it, he said, it is very good. In fact, there's only one thing that God said was not good in creation. Do you know what that was? 
It was not good for a man to be alone. There's hope for single people out here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 13, and let's start with verse 24. And that's page 948. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them. And by the way, there was two purposes of parables. To conceal truth and to reveal truth. To conceal truth from those who were looking to, to condemn Jesus and to reveal truth to those who were looking for it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Now this is very interesting. A man starts off with this good field and he plants good seeds in this good field. And the next day... His servants come around to check out the crop, and all of, a, all of a sudden, they discover some very bad plants there. And they said, where did this come from? And they turn to the master, and watch what the master says. It's very interesting. Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy, a what? An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now watch what Jesus says in verse 37. He actually elaborates on what the parable means. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the what? Wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the what? The devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Folks, what Jesus begins to describe is the great controversy. He describes how he started off this world. A perfect world with perfect people, with perfect conditions, and all of a sudden, this perfect world was invaded by somebody who was bent on destroying the works of God. God introduces a character into this parable. He calls him an enemy, and he elaborates on who this enemy is, and he says this enemy is none other than the devil himself. Now that brings us to another question. Wait a second. If God is so good... Why is the world so bad? Well, the world is so bad because of what the devil is doing. But then that leads us further. If God is so good, then why in the world did he create a devil? Well, you're going to find out that Bible prophecy teaches that God did not create a devil. He actually created a beautiful angel. And this beautiful angel actually had another name. His name was Lucifer. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O what? Lucifer, son of the morning. The word Lucifer is a Hebrew word that, means, that actually translates hadikul, which means light bearer. It means light bearer. In fact, names in the Old Testament were representations of the character of the individual. Jacob meant supplanter because he was a deceiver. Abraham meant father of the nations or father of the worlds because he was the father of the worlds. And so names were representative of characteristics of the individual being. So Lucifer means light bearer simply because he was the angel that emitted beautiful light from him. Lucifer's name means light bearer. The Bible says something very interesting in Isaiah 14. A question is asked by Isaiah, and he is saying, how you are fallen from heaven, or in other words, how is it possible, O Lucifer, son of the morning, that you fell from heaven? When you see those verbs fall, or you see the verb cast away, the word fall has to do more with a moral degeneracy, and casting away or casting out has to do more with the physical e expelling. 
So the Bible here is talking in Isaiah 14. How is it possible that you fell from heaven's beautiful characteristic or beautiful beauty, you could say? How is it possible that you fell from the glory of God? The Bible describes that Lucifer fell from heaven. Ezekiel 28. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go there right now. I want you to see something. We're going to learn more about this beautiful angel before he fell into rebellion. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 28, page 830. Ezekiel 28, page 830. Now watch what the Bible says. We're going to start with verse 11. Ezekiel 28, starting with verse 11. Now see what the scriptures teach. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Well, God tells Ezekiel to describe a, what you may call a lamentation or a crying or mournful song, and he says, Take it up for the king of Tyre, but you're going to discover who he's really talking about here. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. The Bible starts off by describing Lucifer as being an individual who was the seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom and he was perfect in beauty. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, do you see anything wrong with Lucifer so far? Absolutely not. Because if there was something that was malfunctioning in Lucifer that God had originally put in him, then God could be responsible for his fall. Are we tracking so far, yes or no? Okay, now watch what the Bible says about Lucifer. He was the seal of perfection. In other words, the mold was broken when Lucifer was created. He was full of wisdom. He had more wisdom than any other creature throughout all of God's universe. And he was perfect in beauty. Now I want you to pay attention to that very first one part right there as it says in Ezekiel chapter 28. You were the seal of perfection. Now that word seal is not talking about a large marine animal. The seal of perfection has to do more with he was basically the, the, the imprint or template of perfection. When God had created Lucifer, everything was gone in to make Lucifer as, as high and holy and beautiful and just and good more than any other creature that existed. In fact, the Bible says he was the seal or the, 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 the extent of God's power, the seal of perfection. Now, you want to know why that's very interesting? Because it helps us to understand something about how much God's heart is broken in this great controversy. What do I mean by that? Well, let's elaborate a little bit more. Does anybody here have a relationship with somebody? I want you to raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many people here are married? Raise your hand. Okay, good. How many people here have a best friend? Raise your hand. Okay, well, if you don't have a best friend, I hope hopefully during this seminar you'll make plenty of good friends, okay? Now, what I'm going to bring before you is somebody or something that I'm choosing to have a relationship with, a friendship with, okay? Can we bring out the first model? You're going to see this right now. And I have chosen to develop a relationship, a friendship with this individual. And uh, this individual... He's a very nice person, and he heals all the way from Ceres, California. His purchase price was about 11 cents. Okay? Now, this is Harry the Fish. Can you say hello to Harry the Fish? Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to demonstrate how much of a friendship we have. You're going to see how much is given and how much is received. Watch this. Hey, Harry, how was your day? Okay. <laughs> Harry, did you have a good day so far? Wow, that's very interesting. Okay. Harry, I got this one for you. I know Harry's going to speak to me right now. Watch this one. Harry, I just want to say I love you. Hmm, that's very interesting. 
I want you to notice something, and you probably noticed it, that fishes really cannot give you an awesome relationship. I mean, fishes are great in the fact that you can watch them and you can see them. Fishes are really great, the fact that you can name them. But there's very little that a fish can do for you in, as a, uh, in a relationship. Amen to that. I'm going to give this actually to Alexia right now. I promised I'd give this to her. So I'm going to have somebody give this to her right now. Okay, Jay, do you mind giving this to her? She's a little shy. Okay, good. Well, you say, okay, Anel, that's really great. Well, I'm going to bring before you something that's a little bit more advanced than that fish. I'm certain that this thing is going to give me more of a relationship. All right, can we bring out the next model? Now, this here is a dove. This dove is a little bit more advanced than that fish. This dove is very mobile. This dove can go places that fish cannot. And so this dove, by the way, what's the dove's name? Daisy the dove. Very good. Now, Daisy the dove actually can make some noises. That's what it sounds like. No, that's more of a pigeon. Okay, Daisy. I'm going to put Daisy right here. I'm going to ask Daisy a few different questions, and I'm excited about our new friendship. I'm sure it's going to be reciprocal. Daisy, did you have a great day today? Wow. That's very interesting. Okay, Daisy, I'm going to bring you a little bit closer to me. I want everybody to say hi. Everybody say hi to Daisy. Daisy, can you say hi to them? Well, the point is very clear. The point is simply this, that there is very little that this bird can offer in a real, enjoyable relationship. Now, you may say to yourself, what about a dog? Well, probably, but guess what? If you were to tell that dog how much you love them, oftentimes you're not going to hear, I love you back. You're going to hear, rough back, right? The point is this. Don't miss this point. God created Lucifer as a being who could understand him. The Bible says he was full of wisdom, and he was perfect in beauty, and he was the seal of perfection. Lucifer could reciprocate more in a relationship with God more than any other creature based upon his moral intelligence. His moral intelligence. Far more superior than any other creature that existed. And because of it, he could return more to God. In other words, he was probably God's best friend. And this is what makes this whole betrayal very interesting because God wasn't betrayed by some angel that was way off in the ranks. No, he was betrayed by the one being who was closer to him than any other creature throughout the universe. And this is what makes this great controversy very, very interesting. I want you to also notice what else the Bible says about Lucifer. Look what it says. Every precious stone was your what? Covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The Bible teaches that Lucifer was covered with shiny stones that emitted light. In fact, look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms into an angel of what? Light. The Bible does not teach that Lucifer or Satan or the devil is some type of goat-legged red leotard with a pitchfork ready to go poke people in hell. The Bible does not teach that. That type of imagery came in during the Dark Ages. But the Bible does teach that this fallen angel is a beautiful angel of light. And at one time he served God. He followed God. The word Satan means adversary or opponent. Lucifer, by his own choice, Lucifer the light bearer became Satan the adversary. Well, let's discover how. We need to understand this. Let's go a little bit further, though, in understanding more about Lucifer's position and his character. The Bible says this about Lucifer. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Timbrels and pipes are musical instruments. The Bible teaches that Lucifer was a musician. When you read the book of Job, the Bible describes how the sons of God shouted for joy or sung for joy when creation took place. Angels sing, the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation. Lucifer, many scholars believe, let out the heavenly choir. 
So therefore, what we can understand about Lucifer was that he was God's best friend. He was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, emitted this colorful light, and he had this wonderful talent for music. We also discover, Ezekiel 28 tells us, he was the anointed cherub who covers. A cherub is not a chubby little baby with wings that shoots arrow at people, okay? Regardless of what Hallmark teaches you, a cherub, the Bible teaches, is a powerful angel that surrounds the throne of God. But notice, the Bible doesn't just say he's a cherub. It says he's the anointed cherub. Well, what were the anointed cherub who covers? Well, look what Psalms chapter 80 verse 1 says. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. The Bible teaches that God dwells between the cherubim. In other words, there is a certain group of angels that actually surround God and veil his glory to the universe. This was one of Lucifer's positions in heaven. So therefore, we understand that this mighty angel was beautiful, he was wise, he had talents, and he was also given a position that was closer to God than any other creature in the entire universe. Now, we need to understand what took place. Did God do something? Did God cause a problem to take place? Well, let's see what else the Bible says. Ezekiel chapter 28. The Bible says he was perfect in all his ways till iniquity was found in him. He was perfect from the day he was created. There was no malfunction. If you buy a brand new car and three days later that car breaks down, you're going to take that car right back to the dealership, right back to the manufacturer, and you're going to demand a refund. Why? Because a car that new should not break down, right? And the manufacturer looks at it and he says, well, there was a faulty wire. Then the manufacturer is obviously responsible. My point is this, that if there was something faulty in Lucifer's creation, if there was something malfunctioning or dysfunctional in Lucifer's birth, then God himself could be responsible for Lucifer's fall. But the Bible makes it very clear there was none of that that existed in Lucifer. He was perfect until sin started in him. Well, how did the sin start? The Bible teaches something very interesting about God's creatures that have an intelligence. He, the Bible teaches that God endows each of his creatures with free will. What are those two words? Free will. That's exactly right. The Bible teaches that God endows his creatures with, the, with this beautiful concept, this beautiful idea, this characteristic called choice. And God has endowed his creatures with choice because he wants each one of his creatures to love. Did you know that if you were to remove choice from love, love ceases to be love? The second you remove choice or freedom from love, love ceases to become love. It is not love. We have an ugly word we use in our dictionary. It's called rape. And as one scholar said, God is not a divine rapist. God endowed each one of his creatures with freedom of choice. You, don't want, to, you want to know why freedom of choice is so beautiful? Why it's so important to God? Because of this. When someone chooses to love you, that is so much different when someone is forced to love you. When someone chooses to love you, it is different when somebody who is forced to be with you. The second you begin to force something, you immediately disqualify love. One of the things you notice in the book of Revelation is that the devil starts this scheme, and the Bible says he forces everybody to receive a mark. The devil uses deception, and when deception fails, he uses military power. He uses force and aggression. In fact, in Bible prophecy, when Lucifer is stated as a serpent, he's usually being deceptive. When he is stated as a dragon, he's being aggressive. He's being forceful. And we're going to discover more of this as we continue in Bible prophecy. But I want you to understand something about choice. It is super important to understand, folks that God respects choice. Anybody who is saved or lost at the end of time is because they chose to be. 
the reason why God doesn't save everybody because there will be some people who wouldn't be happy in heaven. You know the great atheist Christopher Hitchens who died not too long ago? He said, oh, I don't want to go to heaven. An eternity of praise and understanding God, it would be like hell for me. You know why? Because those who have not been prepared by the Spirit of Christ, those who refuse God's goodness and His power to transform their lives would not be happy in heaven. And so what God is doing right now in this mighty work, He is preparing you for that glorious land that's to come. You might have been here by seems by chance, but the Spirit of God has directed you here because He loves you. And He wants to fulfill those mighty purposes and plans for your life. He wants to start something special for you. Can you say amen to that? And choice is so important to God. So important to God. One of the greatest ways you know that choice exists now is by the very fact that Lucifer rebelled. Did you get my point? The fact that Lucifer rebelled is a clear indication that he had the choice to rebel. Does that make sense, yes or no? That is one of the greatest ways you know that God has given free will by the very fact that we are living in a rebellious world where people choose not to follow God. The Bible teaches in 2 Peter that God is willing that all men should be saved. Does God want all men saved, yes or no? But can God's will be thwarted? Yes. You can choose not to be saved. You can choose not to read your Bible. You can choose to walk away from this seminar. You can choose to walk away from your relationship with God. God respects your choice, but guess what? God doesn't want you to be lost. It break God's heart. He's lost one-third of all of heaven, those angels. And it'd break his heart even more if he were to lose you. God doesn't want you lost because there's only one you. Amen? There's only one you. Well, what took place? Sin began to develop in, Ezekiel, in Lucifer's heart. The Bible teaches that he was full of pride, and he began to check himself out over and over again to the point where his heart began to be filled more and more with pride. And the Bible teaches that he began to do something very interesting. Take your Bible, go to Ezekiel chapter 29, 22, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 28, verse 9. 831. Look at verse 16. Excuse me, verse 17, Ezekiel 28, verse 17. Look what the Bible says about Lucifer. Your heart was lifted up because of your what? Beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Lucifer became corrupted by checking himself out. He intentionally chose to violate God's plan for his life, and he began to look outside of it to take a good look at himself over and over again, he violated heaven's behavior. Heaven's behavior is all about each other. But he began to say, no, 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 it's all about me. The Bible says he began to be filled with pride. Well, what took place after that? Take a good look at verse 16. It's very key. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I will cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy, and I had destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Folks, I want you to understand something. Take a good look at the word, verse 16, in the word trading. Lucifer was not a salesman. But the Bible says by the abundance of his trading, he was filled with violence. Well, you take a good look at this. The word trading is the actually Hebrew word rakal, and this is actually from a professor of Old Testament studies at Andrews University. He says this, the verb rakel, from which this noun derives, literally means to go about from one another, one to another, for trade or gossip. The noun de derivative, rakil, found six times in the Old Testament, 1 Ezekiel 22, verse 9, means slanderer or tale bearer. So what did Lucifer begin to do? He began to surmise a plan, and he began to tell all the other angels and began to gossip about God. He began to slander about God's character. He began to spread lies about God's character. The Bible teaches that Lucifer started an insurrection in heaven to the point where eventually it broke out in full war. But watch what else this scholar says. With deaf strokes, Ezekiel paints the picture of Lucifer's going about, slandering God. An early step towards the open and ultimately violent rebellion 
described so well by John the Revelator as war in heaven. Revelation 12, verse 7. Ezekiel 28, verse 18 reveals that after his expulsion from heaven, the fallen cherub continues his iniquity of slander against God. The Bible teaches that Lucifer began to spread lies about God, about God's character, about God's government, about who God was. Now you're thinking to yourself, how is it possible for one-third of heaven to be deceived by this angel? Here's one point I don't want you to miss. Those angels had never heard a lie before. Do you hear what I just said? Those angels had never heard a lie before. And because they never heard a lie before, they were easily deceived by the things that Lucifer was presenting. Confusion took place in heaven. In fact, when you take a good look at that word war, the Bible says in Revelation 12 verse 7, war in heaven, the word war comes from the Greek word polemia, which means a war of ideas. Ideas about what? Ideas about who God was. Who God really was. And as heaven began to split into two parties, you had those who were loyal to God and those who were loyal to Lucifer. Lucifer was the great light bearer, commander in heaven, and many angels followed him too. And confusion began to spread about who God really was, about God's government, about whether or not angels really had choice in heaven. Now you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, isn't God, God Almighty, why didn't he just simply wipe out Lucifer? Why didn't he just make make him disappear? He could have done all those things. He could have struck Lucifer down with lightning, with thunder. He could have ended this angel's life and saved the universe this grief. But this is an important point, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot miss this point. Lucifer introduced an idea. He introduced a what? Idea. Idea. And when you kill the man, the idea continues. You can destroy the man all you want, but guess what's going to happen to the idea? It's going to be amplified. Here's a case. There was this make-believe, we'll just call this this make-believe tribe in some far-off country. And you have the great ruler of the tribe, Chief Goodman. And Chief Goodman rules this tribe, and he's a just man, he's a holy man, he's a wise man, he's balanced, he's had more experience than all the other tribesmen. He has seen many generations come and go in the tribe, and he has seen a lot of things, but he rules that tribe with justice. One day, one of the local tribesmen begins to accuse the chieftain and says, you're just a phony. You're not really a good man. In fact, your name is not really good man. It's something else. It's bad man. And all of a sudden, there's a stir in the camp because nobody has ever rustled the feathers of this village. But now this this distortion is now entered into this tribe. Two days later, Some of the tribesmen begin to go out and they discover something. They discover the body of that lowly tribesman who made that accusation. And as they examine his body, they discover arrows, not in the front, but in the back. They bring the body back and all of a sudden there's suspicion about who it was. And people began to whisper, I think it was the chief. Do you see what God's problem was now? If he simply just wiped out Lucifer, all the other angels would begin to question, wait a minute, maybe he was right. Now God was not just dealing with an angel. He was now dealing with these ideas, these false ideas, these lies. And the only way to defeat an idea is with action. And so that's what God began to do. He said, all right, universe, you're going to see what is actually true and what is actually false. You're going to see the real deal. You're going to see a difference between my kingdom and what he wants to set up. And you're going to see it very, very clearly. And this is what we're all about in the plan of redemption. The Bible says in Corinthians that our world is a spectacle. Actually, the Greek word is theatron or a theater for the entire universe. And they're seeing the results of those who follow God and the results of those who follow after sin. The Bible is showing us that we're in the midst of a great controversy, not just in those great experiences of our lives, but each and every day of our lives, there's a battle happening for our souls. 
And if our eyes were truly open, folks, we'd realize that God is pleading for our souls and the devil is marching, us, marching on after us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 describes that war broke out during this insurrection, and there was, two fi- there was two sides. The Bible teaches Michael and his angels. The word Michael means he who's like God, and the dragon and his angels, and they fought and they warred. And the Bible teaches that Lucifer was cast out. He was exiled. And folks, it was during this war that God understood what was really involved. It was during this great controversy battle that we're still a part of now. The first war that's behind all of the wars, the war that we're now a part of, this great controversy battle, God really knows what's in Lucifer's heart. The Bible teaches in Isaiah chapter 14 how you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, for you have said in your heart. For you have said where? In your heart. Now notice this. God is pointing out what's in Lucifer's heart, not what he is saying. Because what he was saying was much different than what was really in his heart. So what was really in Lucifer's heart during this rebellion? Well, he made this claim in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I want you to notice the first two words of Lucifer's boast in his heart. I will. Why this is very important? Because heaven was a place where God's will was being done. Now Lucifer is saying, I don't want God's will to be done. I will ascend into heaven. I will call the shots now. I will ascend into heaven. Well, what else did he say in his heart? I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Lucifer says, I'm going to place my position wherever I want in heaven. Now this note of discord was introduced into heaven and it was causing problems. But God knew what was really in this angel's heart, what he really wanted. He says, I will sit I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And that's sanctuary language. It's what type of language? You keep coming, you're going to understand what this means. He even says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll go into the presence of God. The Bible says that clouds, it says in the book of Psalms, that clouds surround God. And there's where God's purposes are, are understood and created. But Lucifer says, I'm going where I want. I'm going to understand what I want, and I'm going to do what I want. But the problem with that is, in doing what he would want, he would have to violate the rights of other angels. Ultimately, Isaiah 14 leads us to Satan's ultimate desire. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer was not interested in just being like God in character. He wanted to be God in power, and in worship. He wanted God's throne, God's place. That was his ultimate desire throughout this entire rebellion, throughout this entire insurrection, throughout this entire war that's taken place. In fact, when Lucifer is tempting Jesus, you can read about it in Matthew chapter 4, I think you did earlier today, his last temptation to Jesus was, if you fall down and worship me, you can tell that this angel is so sick and obsessed with this idea of worship, he's actually asking Jesus, the Son of God, to worship him. Folks, we need to understand that this controversy that we're a part of, prophecy has to do with this. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? You can see the theme throughout the entire Old Testament and into the New Testament. The theme of controversy has to do with the theme of worship. Who are you going to worship? Because that which you worship is that which you place your greatest worth upon. But the devil wants that worth for himself. He wants that worship for himself. Now take your Bible, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. The Bible teaches that Lucifer sinned. Now we're going to understand this a little bit more. 1 John chapter 3, I want you to see something amazing right here. And if you have the page number, go ahead and call it out. 1168, excuse me, 1169. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 starting with verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Now, this is where it gets very juicy. Get ready for this. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits what? I want you to read it for yourself in the Bible. Whoever commits sin commits what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness and sin is what? 
It is lawlessness, or it says in the King James Version, transgression or breaking of God's law. Okay? So we have a definition of what sin is. According to the Bible, what is the definition of sin? Lawlessness or transgression of God's law. In other words, the breaking of God's law. There you have, right there, I want you to see in context. This is extremely important. You're going to miss a powerful point if you miss this. Okay? Sin is defined as transgression of God's what? Law, lawlessness. Let's continue. And you know that he was manifested to take away our what? I want you to take out that word sin and I want you to insert the word lawlessness. And he was manifested to take away our what? Lawlessness. Now let's go to verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who is, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has what? Sinned from the what? The beginning. According to the context, what is the definition of sin? So what did the devil do in the beginning? He broke God's law, which tells you something. God has a law in heaven. God actually has a law in heaven. It's a law that governs his entire universe. And the Bible teaches that Lucifer sinned against heaven, and you can see the context, what sin is. He broke God's law in heaven. Which law is that? The law of selfless love. The devil broke the law of love. He violated him who is called love. The Bible teaches in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love and is based upon his character, his way he runs his entire universe. It is based upon the law of love. And Lucifer began to say, it's not about everybody else, it's about me. And what began to take place was this rebellion. A shadow war began, turned into a full-out insurrection and eventually war. And folks, this war has spilled over into our world today. And we are living in the midst of this controversy. But God respects choice. There are some who don't want anything to do with God. But there are some who want everything to do with God. But folks, it is God's desire to reveal himself truly to each person. The Bible says in John, he is the light that lights every man's world. He is the light that lights every man's world. But this devil, he is very wise. He actually has a front man. He has a what? A front man, actually somebody on earth who does his bidding. The, tame, the name of this front man is called the Antichrist. He's called the what? Antichrist. Antichrist. And you're going to see some biblical names for the Antichrist right now. I want you to see that. The Bible shows or describes the Antichrist as being called the man of sin. He's called the lawless one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He's called the beast of Revelation 13. The Antichrist is called the son of perdition. And by the way, there's only one other person in all the Bible who is called the son of perdition. Does anybody know? Judas. Jesus even said, I have lost none except the son of perdition. So it tells you something about this Antichrist, that he's a Judas. Well, we'll continue more in this prophecy seminar, and you're going to understand who the Antichrist is. You're going to see it straight from the Word of God. The Bible also defines the Antichrist as the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7. But remember what I said to you, that the Antichrist is a front man for the devil. He does his bidding. The Bible describes one of the names of the Antichrist as being the lawless one. In other words, he's trying to destroy God's law on earth. He's actually trying to thwart the government of God, the plan of God, the will of God, God's law of love on earth. Look what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says about the Antichrist power. It's very important. The coming of the what? Lawless one is according to the working of Satan. You can see that Satan is the one that's instigating this, and he's behind the Antichrist. It says the coming of the what? lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The devil's front man on earth, the Antichrist, has a big problem. He's trying to attack God's law. He's trying to attack God's what? God's law. And that's exactly right. You can write that down in your study guide. I think that's the first question I answered for you on your study guide. But go ahead and write that down. He's trying to attack God's law. And you can even see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, describing the little horn power. The Bible says this, He shall speak pompous words or arrogant words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. 
law. He wants to not only destroy God's law, or, or, or sorry, just so we can say give a misrepresentation of God's law, but he's attempting to actually change God's law. But folks, can he change God's law? No, because God's law is based upon God's character. And the Bible says God is love. You can't change God, amen? He is the same yesterday, right? The same today and the same tomorrow. Can you say amen to that? And the same God who loves somebody like Abraham, the same God who loves somebody like Samson, the same God who loves somebody like David, that sinner, loves somebody like you. Amen? Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4 to says about Lucifer. Whose minds the God of this age? By the way, the devil is not a God. The Bible is very clear. But he is worshipped as if he's a God. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded? Talking about how the devil is responsible for blinding this world. He's put the covers over this world. About what? Let's continue. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know what the devil has done? He has blinded the world about the true character of God. Because the devil knows that if he can blind you about who God really is, you want nothing to do with that God. And there's a lot of skeptics in this world, a lot of people in this world, who might have been abused by their parents. There might be a lot of people in this world who had some very bad experience with religious people. Or you might have heard of some hate crimes committed by some religious people. But folks, I want you to understand something. The devil is trying to blind the world by placing a misrepresentation of God. And so when the world looks at God, when they look at the Bible, all they see is this God who condemns them. All they see is this God who hates them. All they see is this God who wants nothing to do with them, who's had enough of people. But folks... The Bible teaches that that is the work of Satan. God is trying to reveal his character to this world. He's trying to reveal who he is. Because God knows that if you see him for who he really is, you're going to fall in love with him. Folks, the same God, the same God who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, still loves you. And God wants you to understand that. And Satan is trying to confuse this world. He's blinding this world, the Bible says, about the light of the gospel of God, which is the glory of God, who is Christ. Jesus came to this earth to do two things. To not only be man's representative to God, to be man's advocate to God, but he came to this world to be God's representative to this world. And so when the world wanted to see what God was really like, all they would have to simply do would be to look at Jesus. Amen? All they would simply have to do would just be to look at what Jesus did and how he healed those who were sick and he helped those who were hurting, how he loved sinners and embraced those who were considered outcasts. He took those individuals that had no purpose in their life, those who were called loser by the rest of this world. God placed his arm around them and he says, I will make you a fisher of men. God gave to those men purpose. He gave to those men plans. And if you want to see who God really is, all you simply have to do is just look at Jesus. Amen? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan, destroy this deception about who God really is. Because God wants to reveal himself to you, folks. Like I said before, if you know who God is, you'll fall in love with him. And you might have had a bad experience with God in the past. You might have had a bad experience with church. You might have had a bad experience. You open up the Bible and you think to yourself, there's nothing for me. But folks, today, I believe God is saying, I want you to see me for who I really am. And on the cross of Calvary, that is where love was most manifested. That is when the heart of God was exposed to this world. Where the Son of God Gave his life for a world that did not love him. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Romans chapter 5, while we didn't even love God or want nothing to do with God, the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. God loves you. Maybe here somebody, somebody may be here today doubting whether or not that the God of the universe is actually watching over them. He is, folks. 
If you're hearing this today, if you're here today, I believe it because the Lord of heaven and earth impressed me today as I was putting this together. He was impressing me to tell these people what the scriptures are teaching about who God really is. The real Jesus. Amen? The real God. You know, there's a very interesting story. Very interesting story. It's taking place now. In India. It's a young Indian lady right here. And this is her mother. About a year and a half ago, this beautiful young lady was crossing the street. She was a college student. Crossing the street, and a motorist came out of nowhere and hit her. And she was in a coma for several months. Came out of that coma, and she's nothing but a vegetable to this day. All her plans, her dreams, and her ambitions lost. She's on a hospital bed right now. And her mom's by her side, taking care of her. But there's this young man right here. His name is Sonny. That's her boyfriend for the last two years. He's been taking care of her too. And every day he comes to her side, several hours, he's given up school, doesn't have a lot of money, and he's taking care of her on that bed. And the one thing that he does for her, he takes a piece of cloth, and he wipes away the tears that swell up in her eyes each and every day. Each and every day, there are tears that come from this woman's eyes. And her lover, her boyfriend, comes to her and just takes some cloth and wipes away those tears and tells her, tells her each day that he loves her. He actually puts signs up right over her head that says, I love you. And all she can respond is just by putting her hand over. And that's all she can do. But this man says, I love her. I'm married to her. She doesn't even know it anymore. But I've given my whole life for her. Several thousand years ago when mankind fell into sin, where we were left by the side of the road, wounded, full of iniquity, full of transgression, when this whole world, this whole universe abandoned us, where we were plundered and robbed by Satan himself, while we were left on the road dying, the Bible teaches that God came alongside of us and he wrapped us in his own arms and with his own garments he wiped away our tears. And he wiped away the blood from the wounds. This is what Jesus and God has done for each and every person here, folks. What God has done. God loves you so much, he sent his only son into this world. Right? You know why that's very interesting? Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was dying on that cross, when he was dying in that garden, there was no one to wipe away his tears. There was no one to wipe away his, his tears and the wounds when he was brought before all the people, the very people who he was dying for, there was nobody there. When Abraham was raised that knife, raising that knife to sacrifice in Isaac, all of a sudden a voice came from heaven and says, don't do it, Isaac. I know you're not going to withhold your son from me. I know this. But when God's own son was on that cross, there was no angel to stop it. When Jesus was dying in the garden, Dying for you and dying for me, not even knowing if he was going to be resurrected. There was no angel to stop that from taking place. And when he was there, the last few moments of his life, alone, forsaken by God, seemingly forsaken by God, forsaken by the very people he came to live, to die for, when he was surrounded by just darkness, a void of emptiness, nothing there, no joy, no hope, no one to come alongside and to help him. While he was lying alone on that cross, he made that decision to go all the way for you, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what love does. God loves you, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what he wants you to understand, that he is a God of love. And he's been watching over your life, even up to this point right now. And what he's revealing to you is who he really is. Because he wants you to know him and share in his glory.
Amen, ladies and gentlemen? This is so important. We're continuing this journey. If you're somebody today who wants to say, Lord, I want to see who you, you see you for who you really are. I want to continue to see you. I want to keep coming to this seminar. I want to learn more about the real God. I want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. God wants you to keep learning and keep growing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, that every sin, every sin has been washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you gave your only son for us who took our place that we might take his place, Lord, in heaven. And Father, I just want to pray for any person here who, who, who is questioning whether or not you are watching over them, that you really still, still love them, God. Pray, Father, right now they would hear your voice saying that you do. Thank you, God, for the cross of Calvary. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your goodness. In your name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.